Hello, and welcome to Digfin Vox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. If you enjoy the program, give us a like, share, subscribe, get that algorithm going. My guest today is Emmanuel Daniel, founder of trade publication, The Asian Banker, and author of a new book called The Great Transition, The Personalization of Finance is Here. I spoke with Emmanuel about what this great transition means for banks and incumbents, for fintechs, and for individuals. Emmanuel Daniel, welcome to Digfin Vox. Jamie, great to be on your show, uh, and congratulations for what you've built uh, over time. So, uh, you know, looking forward to our conversation. Well, I mean, the congratulations, I think, should go the other way today. Uh, you are the founder of the longstanding publication, The Asian Banker. Uh, I've been to some of your events. You often uh, present, uh, you know, very expansive uh, attempts, you know, talks and, and visionary speeches about where you see finance and technology. So you finally encapsulated a lot of your thinking into a book, which I read and I reviewed on Digfin. Uh, called The Great Transition, The Personalization of Finance is Here. Yeah. Go. So what anyone who writes about technology and finance, I think personalization is a term that gets thrown around a lot. You're trying to do something a little more with it, I think. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, or let me let me just rephrase, in your in your preface, you say finance will become the operating system of the personalization of society as a whole. What does that mean? You know, Jamie, thanks for having read the book because uh, it is uh, both at once an easy book to read uh, because it sort of uh, tries to encapsulate uh, profound changes taking place in society today in a way that everyone can understand. In fact, uh, the book cover has a, you know, has a block of ice on it. Uh, and I use that as an allegory or a, or a, um, or a description uh, of what's going to be happening or what is already happening in society today. Uh, the information era is empowering the in individual uh, on many layers and many levels. Uh, at the Basic level, we are all being imbibed with a lot more knowledge uh, than we know how to handle, and you know it creates a lot of um, dystopian forces in society and so on. At the technology level, even the world that we've become accustomed to, the platform world, is, in my view, uh, starting to disintegrate into personalization. Mm. Uh, the individual is gaining greater control over his own data and who and how he wants to interact with using that data. That data itself uh, is capturing not just information, but asset uh, value that can be transmitted. Uh, and so when we add it all up together, uh, society as a whole is on a march in a certain direction, which mm -hmm. is that uh, with tokens, with, uh, uh, with, with the disintegration of platforms, uh, society itself is, uh, adding so much power to the individual. Um, and you think about, and after I'd written the, my book, uh, Chat GPT comes out, GPT-4 comes out, and what does it do? Um, it 
takes away the tediousness of uh, gathering information uh, and then empowers the individual to be able to do more with it. So the emphasis moves from uh, from the ability to collect information or even to remember them or to store them uh, to the ability to use them. Um, you know, and that's the kind of empowerment that the individual uh, is undergoing. Um, now, uh, I'm saying all this uh, by going back to the first principles of what finance is uh, and then reconstructing, uh, you know, where we are heading uh, from those first principles right. and what the first principle well, of let, me just, let me just like i just want to clarify just so i make sure i'm, I'm with you on this uh emmanuel so uh that when you talk about personalization what you're really referring to is this empowerment of the individuals through technology and control of data is that is that kind of the way you're framing it in a simplistic way yes that's that's what it is yeah in a simplistic way let's start with that as the definition uh and then there's a lot to drill down into yeah. Uh, so, well, so then, yeah, and then you're you're talking about you know the, the roles of finance in society. Obviously, there's there's classic social needs for finance. Why we have it? So, provide people with a place to put their money, a store of value, um, risk management, um, uh, payments, uh, and 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 of course credit. So, what what does personalization imply for whether it's fintechs or banks or other institutions in terms of how they deliver those services and how we consume them? So in the initial iteration of uh, you know, the, uh, the, the fintech phenomenon, if you want to call it that, uh, was that, uh, that fintech was going to redefine the intermediation business. Uh, personalization implies that we don't need intermediation. Mm -hmm. uh, that you and I can transact with each other directly. Um, so technology and the entire industry is on a journey. Uh, so today when I, when I say the phrase personalization to someone who works in a bank uh, or an exchange, you'll say, oh, uh, we need to provide the platform on which uh, the individual can come and transact. And so he wants to be an intermediary uh, he wants to centralize the transaction. That's the terminology that's used even by the crypto people. Um, and he wants to uh, monetize it. He wants to be able to uh, generate revenue from that. But as tokens and as uh, platforms disintegrate and tokens become more important, um, we, are, we now need to start thinking about um, an ecosystem where individuals can transact with each other. And then what do the intermediaries do? Uh, so that's the journey we are on. And that's what I mean by the great transition. Uh, we're in a transitionary uh, phase. Uh, the incumbents are still there. Uh, and, and uh, you know, the, the, the energies and the mechanics of the new platforms are under construction. So you, if you take something like peer-to-peer -peer lending, for example, uh, the first iteration of peer-to-peer -peer lending was built on the idea of, of a platform. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the platforms uh, couldn't think of themselves as selling anything other than what the traditional banks were selling. So if it was platform for peer-to-peer -peer lending for mortgages, uh, the platform said, we are selling mortgages. But if you have thousands of uh, potential borrowers and thousands of potential lenders with assets uh, to be deployed and liquidity to be uh, put into the network, um, new products can come about uh, and new types of relationships 
in terms of what a mortgage is. Today, a mortgage is a plain old vanilla, boring 10 to 30 year um, uh, you know, asset uh, that you are locked into uh, for a long time. Uh, but in the future, because we know so much more about each other, a mortgage can be a long-term lease. A mortgage can be uh, slivered off into different, um, you know, chunks. Uh, and you know, for five years, it's a um, uh, it's a lease. Uh, in the, for another three years, it's a timeshare, and another five years, uh, it's an asset. Uh, um, you know, it's like a, a a higher purchase type of an arrangement. Uh, all of that. Now, all of this becomes possible uh, as uh, the intermediaries gather lots of data uh, about both sides of a transaction. But that data is uh, increasingly becoming available even to the end user. So when we think about ride sharing, for example, what is ride sharing? Uh, there is symmetry of information between the supplier and the, and the user, uh, and even the regulator and other parties in the transaction. Uh, so finance is coming to that uh, to that dimension where both the uh, supply side, the institutions, and the demand side, the end user, uh, has the same uh, information. Uh, we see this in markets today uh, that because of uh, the amount of information that's on Reddit, for example, that retail customers can respond uh, to market trends or with the same force as an institutional investor in the old days. So it's a transition. Uh, yeah. Where transition taking us? Uh, uh, there are many different forces, uh, you know, trying to influence the process. Yeah, but let me go back to your uh, idea about let's say a mortgage uh, and using these using data and digital technology to take instead of having a uh, a ten or a thirty year fixed or floating rate note. You would turn that, you know, with with a with a house uh, as as the collateral there. You would imagine that the structure of that could be changed depending on the where you sit in the life cycle of that loan. People could use it for different purposes at different times with different counterparties. Yep. How do you square that then with, I guess, the fact that up until now uh, we think of financial products as essentially legal contracts. You know, they're they're set down in writing uh, from day one, um, and then they they don't they don't really change unless you're talking about something that's built to change in the beginning, like a convertible bond. So, you know, what has to happen, whether it's from a a legal point of view or a point of view of creating, you know, some of the safeguards as well, so people don't get scammed or make stupid mistakes with something as important as a as a mortgage. Um, you know, do you have any sense of what has to happen for there to be a a safe transition to a more dynamic use of tools? So I say in my book, uh, anything that can be digitized can be turned into data, and anything that can be turned into data can be financialized. Mm -hmm. uh, so basically, uh, in today's world, uh, the intermediaries have a control over the transaction because they hold the data uh, and they hold it almost in a physical form, uh, you know, paper and stuff like that. Now, uh, when a lot more of the data is uh, captured uh, in, in digital form, uh, it then become, it takes a life of its own. Um, you know, there are entire businesses, GE, no less. Jeff Emmel said in 2014, he said that 
in the future, GE will not be a manufacturing company. It's going to be a data trading company. Uh, and so anything about ourselves that can be digitized and put out there can be, uh, can be, you know, uh, can be traded, can be exchanged, can be, um, can be financialized, uh, and 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 then it takes a life of its own. Uh, so that's the operating principle that uh, data uh, uh, being able to digitize is the starting point uh, of being able to create all of these new asset uh, classes. Yeah. Um, we are all we all of society is going through uh, a journey also in trying to understand that if you can digitize um, a lot of information, uh, what information uh, has an inherent fiscal value, uh, a monetary value that can be traded? Um, we, we are on a learning curve there. Uh, you know, Elon Musk says that uh, the Tesla vehicle uh, is basically a repository for data. Um, you know, any amount of data in there can be turned into a financialized asset, um, you know, uh, um, usage, uh, insurance, um, you know, all kinds of other uh, different uh, uses, but not everything can be financialized. Um, and so we're going to go into a journey where we're going to try and financialize everything. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, over time, we will understand that, um, you know, there are some data that can be financialized. Now, why do I say all this? Because I think that uh, the, you know, the catch-all phrase right now is that data is the new goal or something like that. Uh, in my book, I say that data is uh, the new vegetable, uh, mm -hmm. and the nature of vegetable is that if you have if you have too old uh, vegetable, it's useless. If you have too young, uh, you don't have enough. If you have too much, uh, you know you uh, it, it loses its value. If you have too little, you you can't make it into a product. You know, so data is very it's very um, uh, it's not fungible, but it it's got a lifespan element to it, uh, you know, and a, and a dynamic tone. Uh, yeah. So we are putting in place all the structure for that right now. I want to go to, I want to leap into sort of the depth of the book. There's one or two passages that I found really interesting um, and sort of leap ahead in some of the things we've been talking about. We're talking about uh, mortgages and we talked about, you know, the, the way that, uh, you know, th these issues around data uh, and you had a, a Towards the end of the book, you said something like, uh, I quote, the, the bank deposit account is the Kodak equivalent of financial services industry today. This is the one product that banks can't imagine giving up ever. Now, bank deposit has been in the news uh, in the past several weeks uh, with everything going on in the United States, with uh, bank you know depositors leaving um, uh, Silicon Valley Bank and, and others uh, and, and concerns and, and a huge of interest rate changes a huge rush out of deposits and into money market funds um but bank deposits are also really the the core building block of the whole financial system that we have today right i mean the whole idea of fractional reserve banking is predicated on the fact that banks have deposits so that they can make credit available using those uh and and uh and the maturity transformation process that goes along with that so when you talk about these things are you suggesting that deposits will be transformed and taken away from banks, uh, whether it's through tokenization or other means, um, or are you saying that uh, the banks will have to sort of do something more to, to make their deposits remain attractive and continue that kind of foundational, traditional way of, of building our financial system? 
you know, for more than two years, uh, and the book came out in October, Silicon Valley Bank was, you know, just recently. Uh, now, for more than two years, I was asking myself this question, uh, if banking is going to be transformed, what about banking needs to be transformed most of all for that transformation to be real? So I looked at everything in finance, and right there, staring at me, was the most important product, as you as you just indicated, uh, in banking that a banker cannot imagine uh, a bank existing without, and that is the deposit account. Uh, and this is the same as Kodak having invented, uh, you know, digital film in 1995. If they looked at their business and said, uh, which of our products is going to be disintermediated, is sitting right there in front of them. Uh, it's the yellow box, uh, 35 mm physical film. Uh, and yet, uh, Kodak did not give up the film, uh, the, the physical film, uh, right up to the point of going into bankruptcy in 2010, uh, while Sony introduced, uh, you know, its uh, Sony uh, camera, digital camera, and then in 2000, and, uh, and, uh, and the iPhone came about in about 2007. So the transition was taking place, uh, and uh, it doesn't occur to the incumbent that it's the very core of the asset uh, that or, or the business line or the product uh, that needs to be disintermediated. Um, and what is it about uh, about the deposit business? In the old days, deposits was just good old-fashioned um, balance sheet uh, that captured uh, the amount of money that you're saving. And then over time, banks weren't paying any um, you know interest on it either. I mean, the money that you spend taking a cab to go to the ATM to withdraw your money. Uh, wipes out whatever um, you know interest that you bear on it. So the utility of it uh, was in total decline. Um, mm -hmm. And and then uh, the digital wallets came about, um, and you know it was the AliPay, the WeChat Pay that had uh, figured out that by creating a digital wallet, uh, you create incredible utility uh, of money. And this became deposit-taking companies. Uh, and today, of course, in in the US. Uh, in the U.S. right now, uh, in fact, in June or so, they will be introducing FedNow, uh, which is instant payment. Uh, and so you're going to start seeing uh, a lot more activity on digital wallets. Uh, the platform players like Facebook and LinkedIn and all that, they, they had the opportunity to become digital wallets themselves. They missed the opportunity. Uh, and and Twitter now becomes a digital wallet. Your iPhone, App, App, Apple Pay, right? And Goldman now have four more than four percent interest on uh, on. Basically, it's like um, it's like UA Bao in China. Uh, it seems to me <clears throat> you leave some money on your your iPhone or, or you use that in a deposit and right. you, know, you get you get right. rewarded. And the and the digital wallet players themselves become a force to be reckoned with in the interbank lending market because they have the incredible ability to garner deposits far more efficient efficiently than the small banks you know and, and the small uh, financial institutions which in turn borrows from the uh, deposit uh, from the um, from the uh, digital wallets now and then um, uh, what the digital wallets do is that they increase the amount of utility on it. And what's the next phase uh, where digital wallets are no longer a balance sheet number, but actual tokens. It's like real money uh, that, is, uh, that exists in a wallet. Uh, and that's what crypto is, right? Um, and we are now entering a phase 
uh, where we can uh, all of us can can uh, you know can uh, can hoard our tokens in digital wallets and pay each other directly. So the the trend is very clear. It's taking place. Um, and so what I'm saying is that if the deposit business is going to be revolutionized, the purpose of deposits is not wealth generation. I mean, like, forget wealth generation in deposit business forever because it's not ever coming back. Uh, it's utilization. Uh, and utilization uh, for everyday life, but also increasingly uh, in the digital ecosystems that we're going to be existing in, whether it's in the metaverse, in gaming, uh, you know, and, and uh, all kinds of interactions uh, in, the, in the digital sphere. Um, and I can see that there will come a day when banking uh, or banks will compete with each other to issue stable coins of their own. Every bank in the world issuing their own stable coins uh, and competing on the utility of their stable coins, on the convertibility of the stable coins, uh, and the immutability of the table coins as it goes through uh, different platforms. In other words, uh, uh, it's universal. Right. Um, and, and banks are the most um, reliable um, uh, issuers or purveyors of the stable coin business uh, because what is stable coins' biggest problem today? It's the governance structure uh, that the issuers of the stable coins can warranty that. Uh, that they meet the, the governance uh, commitments like uh, uh, the, 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 the back-end um, you know, balance sheet that supports the value of the currency and all that. Uh, and banks are in the best position uh, to, uh, to ensure that the, that the governance structure is in place. Uh, so I can see that transition taking place. Okay? And remember I said this because uh, very few people uh, you know, see what I see. And yeah. I want to put it out there, and I want to see the transitions as it, uh, as it takes place. Now, in the U.S. right now, there's a lot of debate on how stable coins and cryptocurrencies uh, should be um, uh, you know, governed and should be uh, regulated. Um, and in writing this book, um, I try to go back to underlining trends and keep my finger on it so that despite the noise and despite... Um, all the distractions in terms of um, what uh, the, the opinions of the different players are. Um, I keep my eye on uh, the immutable trend that is underway uh, and, and check see that that's exactly where we are getting. With uh, the, I guess the, the first response that somebody in banking might have is, well, we're, you know, we're engaging with various fintechs. We're doing our digital transformation processes um, in the fintech world itself, uh, I think, you know, six or seven years ago, it was all about uh, disruption. Uh, but lately, it's become all about uh, working with banks, uh, which is always super boring <laughs> at a conference because you want the fireworks. But um, uh, but your book is pretty scathing, actually, on digital programs and fintech. Uh, you've got a quote here that applying too much technology to an incumbent system only reinforces the status quo. What what is your, I guess your analysis of the the problem that you know the fundamental problem that that fintechs, particularly B two B fintechs, bring uh, to this proposition and to this transition? Fintechs start by thinking that they're going to be disrupting the system, and then they walk right into a regulated universe, uh, and then they become compliant to the regulated universe, um, and then 
they start defining their products in the same way as the incumbents do. Uh, and that's why we started this conversation with the mortgage story, which is that if a fintech, uh, which is not a bank, uh, which has got a different source of funding and different types of relationships, uh, calls its product mortgages, it's a matter of time before its own cost structure, before uh, the regulatory uh, overhang uh, in terms of uh, you know regulating uh, the product, all of it starts to look like banking, uh, you know, and, and then uh, it's it's uh, it's natural that the fintech ends up saying, you know what, the only way to play this game is to become a bank ourselves, um, and also that's why there's a section in my book say we want to become banks too, um, and also what happened that that uh, disruption uh, that was uh, already underway resulted uh, in the challenges wanting to become like the very institution that they're trying to disrupt. Uh, and that's why I'm saying uh, in my book, again, putting my finger on it and saying that if the product doesn't change, nothing changes. Uh, and so if we want to see real transformation taking place in finance, um, we need to start seeing uh, transformation in products. And that's why I put my finger on the deposits business saying that isn't this the product that most defines finance? Watch how this product changes. Right. So uh, we're coming toward the end of our time, Manuel. Um, this has been very interesting. I think we could probably bang on uh, together for a very long time, but uh, you know, respect the respect your time and that of our audience. Uh, what do you tell people whether they're, they're approaching you, uh, whether they're from the fintech world or the tradfi or you know incumbent world? Uh, you know, what, what's kind of the the big takeaway that you want them to have? Um, you know, I'm very aware that the book is a little bit high level. So it, on the on the face of it, uh, the reader might say, well, this all this is into the future. Uh, and, you know, and what has it got to do with the business that I'm running right now? Uh, and I'll say this, because I can see where this is going, uh, there are some uh, uh, important principles that I'm, I'm saying to the incumbents and the fintech players and the digital banks uh, that, that exist today. Firstly, platforms, uh, all players need to be on platforms, but no player is going to be profitable on platforms uh, going forward because platforms themselves are disintegrating uh, if the if the, if the customer, the user is uh, gaining incredible um, you know, control over how he wants to interact, who he wants to interact with, he's not going to give you uh, the value or the, uh, or, or, or the income uh, from having provided this infrastructure. So platforms are inherently uh, unprofitable. Um, you know, and, uh, and I'm also saying to the incumbents, look at your products again and say, uh, what is it about my product uh, that has to change to keep up with the trend as it's evolving? So a fund manager, for example, thinks that, oh, uh, by uh, selling ETFs and, and, uh, and uh, you know, not sitting on the core asset, the uh, underlining asset uh, makes him uh, profitable, uh, everybody else can do the same thing. Uh, mm -hmm. So the margins on the funds business uh, has collapsed uh, totally. Um, there are times when uh, incumbent players think that, oh, uh, we now have this technology, it reduces our cost, we don't need uh, too much human inter intervention, and therefore uh, it's a profit proposition. Um, the nature of technology is such that uh, it, uh, it commoditizes everyone. Uh, and then you got to find 
you got to look for a value proposition from a different angle that sits outside the technology. So this is how we need to think about our everyday strategies. Uh, and so I wrote this book uh, to help the incumbents think through uh, the inevitability uh, of where technology is taking us, uh, and then uh, just go back to first principles uh, and try to figure out uh, what is the essence of finance that they're trying to uh, to, yeah. to to safeguard and to build on. Uh, when, and you know, talk, yeah, when you're when you're yeah. dealing with those those questions of everything becoming commoditized, traditionally what incumbents have done is they've either consolidated. And just you know become super big and 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 generate um, better unit economics, or uh, they just become marketing machines with some sort of generic engine that does finance in the back. Um, that's been tried and true. Uh, do you think that will still be the way that incumbents will be able to survive and thrive, or is it or is this transition now going to require something different? Well, um, there's always a moment in time story. So. What you just said is actually what happened in the high frequency trading uh, sphere since 2014. Uh, initially, it was a value differentiator uh, and the players in high frequency trading thought that they could charge more by being able to trade faster and, and, and so on. Um, and then it became so commoditized and that's exactly what happened. Uh, uh, the, the, the ones with the biggest volume had to go out and try and buy the others to in order to uh, you know have dominant market share, uh, and eventually uh, that whole industry just collapsed uh, despite uh, incredible technology being applied. And and that story is going to be repeated uh, many times. Uh, yes, there will be mergers and acquisitions. Uh, and so when I see mergers and acquisition in in fintechs today, you attend the fintech festivals. Um, it's an opportunity for uh, subscale players to offer themselves to be bought by, you know, the, the next, uh, the greater fool, uh, as, I, as I, I like to think. Um, now, all that is um, incremental activity. Uh, I think that if we have a very clear idea where technology is actually bringing us to, uh, we can uh, not be distracted by these incremental activities and say, what is it that I need to get to uh, in order to create uh, an enduring financial business or financial uh, uh, you know, strategy uh, that I can build on over time? Yeah. Um, so that's the purpose of this book. Great. I think we'll leave it there. Um, thank you so much for joining me on Digital Vox, Manuel Daniel. Thank you, Jamie, and thank you for having read the book and uh, and your questions uh, helped me to describe it very well. Thank you very much. Great.